But I do want to share with you a message from the book of Revelation, a letter, a note from our Lord Jesus to that church we've been talking about, the church at Ephesus. We've talked a lot about the Ephesian church. We've gone through the book of Ephesians, took us about 14 messages, and we talked about the value of this message, of this book, has been that it kind of reveals to us God's glorious plan, our place in His plan, that He has opted to put us into His plan. And that ought to give you a cause to say amen, because praise God for that. Um, how it happened that we're in His plan, that we're blessed in it through the blood of Jesus Christ, through our faith in Him and His tremendous grace towards us, and then how to live in light of all this truth that we've received in the book of Ephesians. And, and that church, I believe that church has a wonderful heritage, uh, but that church continued, we know, for many years. And it was a very strong church, one of the strongest churches described for us in the New Testament. Uh, but we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 1. Our main text is going to be the first seven verses of Revelation 2. But I think, you know, what is the first rule of, of real estate? Location, location, location. All right, that's the same for uh, biblical interpretation is uh, context, context, context. So I want us to go to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9, and I'm just going to read through the end of that chapter. It's a little bit along, but I think it'll give us good context. Uh, Revelation 1 verse 9, he says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God. And for the testimony of Jesus Christ, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke, uh, spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about, with, uh, uh, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, his as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, and as, they, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your beautiful word. Lord, uh, we thank you that this uh, many times difficult book is included in your word. And, and, 
And Lord, I, I just pray right now that as we draw near to our main text, that we keep in our mind this description of our Lord, uh, that He is an Almighty God, that He is the Almighty God, that He is the first, that He is the last, that in His right hand is all churches and the, the angels of those churches. And God, I pray You would just help us to come to grips with understanding these uh, messages, Lord. And God, I pray most of all that You'll help us to understand what it means for our church. Lord, I love You and I praise You. Lord, help us as we hear what He has to say to this church at Ephesus that will keep in our mind this Jesus who is speaking in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So late in the life of John, the Roman government exiled John to the island of Patmos, and they wanted him to be exiled alone. But John wasn't alone. It describes for us in that text we just read that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was on the Lord's Day, that was Sunday, and Jesus revealed himself to John. And uh, he revealed himself in a pretty dramatic description, one that I've referenced many times And uh, when I try to consider who our Savior is and trying to come to grips with his greatness and his power. Uh, it is such a vivid description given to us in this text. But Christ revealed himself there, and we see in verse 19, it says, write these things. John was given instruction. The instruction was, I need you to write down everything you're going to hear me say and everything you're going to witness and then send it to these seven churches. And one of those churches was that church at Ephesus. And the first message we see in our text, we're going to read our text now, chapter 2, it says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. A very interesting message, and we're going to try to peel back just the basics of what his message is, but I I want to just draw a few similarities that I see between the church at Ephesus and Northwest Baptist Church. The church at Ephesus, we've already talked about a little bit how they came into being. That church was planted by who? Anybody want to take a swing at that? Paul. That church was planted by Paul with the help of some faithful servants, Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, also during their uh, time of existence, there was another pretty uh, important guy in Scripture who served in that church, and that was Timothy, served as the pastor of that church for a, for a time. And it's also revealed that John, John served in this church. The apostle John, the, the apostle whom Jesus loved, served in this church before his exile and after his exile. Can you think 
of a, of a church that has a greater heritage of spiritual leadership than this church at Ephesus? I mean, they got Paul and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla and John, uh, the, the apostle that Jesus loved, serving in this church. And when I look at North, Northwest, when I look at Northwest, I know that there's a wonderful spiritual heritage here. Uh, for 30 years, almost or nearly over, or over 30 years, Brother Leland Lanier served in this church as the pastor and was a faithful and, and steady pastor who held forth the word of truth and would not let it go. And I, I know this church is filled with many who were longtime members of Berean Baptist Church under the ministry of Lester Hudson and also were into the ministry of his pastorship here for four years. And I can't think of anybody living that I personally know that has a better heritage we have a tremendous and wonderful heritage. Yet this church that, uh, of Ephesus that had such a beautiful and wonderful heritage does no longer exist. Did you know that? And this church, in this message from Jesus, had something that wasn't right. Now I'm not going to draw that uh, a similarity quite yet. and I'm going to let the Lord kind of lead us on whether that's existing in our church. But I see also many things that are in this passage that are uh, similar. First, we see that Jesus cares for this church. That's my first point, just so you know. Jesus, it's Jesus who's caring for that church in verse 1. It says, the angel unto the angel. Okay, who's the angel? Well, the angels are interpreted uh, to mean the, the messengers. And uh, the common uh, interpretation is that these are the pastors of the churches. So this is the leader. This is unto the leader, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, right? These things. He says, these things saith he, this is Jesus, who holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The, the person who's caring for this church is Jesus. And I think that is a tremendous comfort. Uh, I love that it says that Christ is holding the seven stars in his right hand. These seven stars, uh, which were the seven angels of the seven churches, uh, and, and we believe that they were the pastors. I think that's a huge encouragement to me. He holds. That means he, he has a firm grip on these, uh, on these stars, on these angels, indicating that there is authority that Jesus is exercising over the, these leaders in these churches. Not only that, another commentator said that the right hand is a place of strict accountability, strong protection, and strategic usefulness. I think that's a huge encouragement, but also a warning to all pastors that, listen, there's some accountability for being in this position. And I see it in my own life. If you, just, if you don't know that, I certainly feel that. Uh, this is a warning to both pastors, but also to others who have relationship with pastors uh, on how they should treat them. But Christ also, it also says Christ also walks among the seven golden lampstands or candlesticks. Uh, the, according to that previous passage we read in verse 20, the, the candlesticks are what? The seven what? The churches. Okay, so imagine with you, me, as you will, this one who is described in Scripture as uh, uh, his 
light, his eyes shining like the sun, and his hair white as snow, and his feet uh, burning like brass in a furnace, and, and this one who is clearly a picture of power walking among the churches, walking amidst the church. That means, uh, you, you know, when, when y'all come to church, do y'all, y'all get the sense of what's going on here? Wake up a little bit. Answer my questions, okay? Do you get a sense of what's going on? It's hard to understand what's going on at church if you're not here, right? It's pretty difficult to know what happened on Sunday morning if you didn't go. It's pretty difficult uh, to understand what the worship experience was like and, and how heartfelt it was if you weren't there. It's hard to understand uh, uh, what's being taught in Bible study or in Sunday school if you don't go. But what it's saying is this Jesus, this very Jesus described for us in chapter 1, is amidst his churches. He's in this church this morning. He, what kind of worship has he seen? Uh, what kind of response has, has he seen to the preaching of, of the word? What, what is it like when he visits our, our Bible studies? What is it like when he's in our midst? Jesus is in the midst of our church, and he was in the midst of these churches. He knew what was going on in them. He knew, he knew what it was like. What did he see? Jesus, we see, cares for this church. And then as we continue in our text, we see that Jesus commends his church. Praise God, he, he began with compliments instead of criticisms. And he, and he spent more time complimenting than criticizing And so let's look a little bit about these compliments. And these are things that I see in our church as well. Jesus, first we see in in the first part of verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Jesus was pleased with their good deeds. He was pleased with their good deeds. This church was spiritually active. They were at work. This church was not trying to get by on spare time and spare change and, and nominal commitment. They were giving themselves to the work of the Lord. That's awesome, and I see that in our church as well. This was a, a, a seemingly a healthy, uh, hard-working church. He uses a few words that I want to draw attention to. Labor. It could also be uh, interpreted as toil. These people were wearing themselves out for the message of the gospel. Uh, they, were, they were working hard, and I see that in so many places in our church, in all of our children's ministries, by the way. Those who serve faithfully in children's ministry, these people are hard-working, faithful servants. Sister Sue, Miss Julia, who's over here, the people who work in the nursery. I mean, these are unsung heroes of our church. Amen. And they, they work themselves. It's hard work to deal with kids. I know I live with three of them. <laughs> it's hard work, especially when they're not your kids. I mean, what do you do whenever you can't whoop your own the kids that aren't yours? That's a little more, uh, uh, you know, a scary thing to do. So these people who serve in our church, like they're, they're wearing themselves out. And I'm going to tell you, if you're here and you're a rather new member, these people have been wearing themselves out and it's time for them to get some more help. We need some people in our church to step up and to serve in these roles. Um, uh, they also, it says they had patience. Uh, they had patience. Uh, the way it's described here, I don't see it described as a, a, uh, that, that they're willing to wait. What I think this is, is, is it means that they're working sometimes without seeing immediate results. They're working uh, uh, without seeing the, 
the fruit immediately take place. But instead of growing impatient and giving up, they endure. This is working with patience, laboring with patience. Even when the load grew heavy, these people endured. And I see this in our church, our deacons. I can see the load getting heavy. I can tell you, uh, men, on, on Saturday at 9 a.m., we're going to have a time where we come up to the church and we're going to set up tables and chairs for this uh, fellowship we're having next Sunday. And you know what? If the, only the deacons show up, that's going to be a heavy load. And they will endure with patience. I'll tell you that. I know they will. But we need to give them help. These these people were doing the work, and the Lord was pleased with it. There were difficult times for this church. If we went and talked about the city of Ephesus and the kind of uh, 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 ugliness that was in that city, uh, there was difficult times for this church, but they did not forsake their Lord. They endured, and they labored. Jesus wasn't just pleased with their good deeds. He was pleased with their sound doctrine. Look in verse, the rest of verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them, which are evil. He's drawing attention to the idea that this church, not only were they spiritually active, but they were sound and they did not tolerate bad doctrine. When he says those that are evil would not bear them, which are evil, he's saying they didn't tolerate carnal members of their church. Uh, he said, I know how, can, how, how thou canst bear them which are evil. They practice church discipline, I believe. Something that's uh, absent from most American churches. We, uh, we like to, to take on uh, Matthew 7 verse 1, judge not lest you be judged, and twist that into meaning that nobody has a right to look at our life no matter what kind of evil is existent in our life. Keep your nose out of my business. They don't... Most churches no longer care how a person lives as, as long as they keep attending church and, and they keep serving and they keep giving. Well, that's not biblical. That's not biblical at all. This church had high moral standards. They called out sin when they saw it and did not tolerate counterfeit Christians. Praise God, I, I believe we don't tolerate evil in our church. I believe we do that with grace and kindness and mercy, as it should be done. But we call out sin for what it is. They also, uh, in verse, if we jump down to verse 6, he says, thou, hast, uh, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The deeds of the Nicolaitans. This, this group is named only twice in Scripture, and you just read one of them, Nicolaitans. And not a lot is told uh, to us about them, but historians have guessed that they are rather indulgent Christians. Uh, they believed in liberty to the fullest extent. And uh, another described them as hedonistic Gnostics. Uh, but the Ephesians didn't hate the Nicolaitans. Did you, see, did you catch that? It didn't say the uh, hatest the Nicolaitans. No, he says, you hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They hated their deeds. They hated the evil ways of those who claimed to be Christians, but uh, sinned, uh, lived sinfully. Also in, in that uh, verse 2, it shows that they did not tolerate counterfeit ministers. He said, thou hast tried them 
which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. We turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, uh, they were warned that this might happen, that false teachers might rise up. He says, uh, this was instruction given to the church at Ephesus, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Paul's prediction in in Acts chapter 20 came to pass, but the false teachers were unable to harm this church in Ephesus. They did not tolerate counterfeit ministers. When an apostle showed up, an apostle showed up, they tested him. And if he failed the test, they booted him. Jesus wasn't just pleased with their sound doctrine and their, and their good deeds. He was pleased with their dedication. Read verse 3 with me again. And hast borne. I think that's another good word for endured. Hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake, hast labored and hast not fainted. They were dedicated. I, I, uh, in studying for this, I, I found a quote by a guy named Heraclitus, who's described as the weeping philosopher of Ephesus. He, he goes on and on about, about the vileness of their city. And he wrote this, and I, I have a quote here. He wrote that the Ephesian citizens were, quote, fit only to be drowned. And that the reason he could never laugh or smile was because he lived amidst such terrible uncleanness. It's a pretty ugly picture of Ephesus. Yet these people endured. They were dedicated. These Christians, uh, these Ephesian Christians, they were persecuted. They were ridiculed. They were scorned. But the church at Ephesus endured. And they did not give up. Let me ask you, do you find yourself in a place that's hard to be devoted to Christ? I mean, that's easy to find here in our United States. It's easy to find yourself in a place that's hard to be dedicated to Christ. It's hard to be dedicated to Christ at school. I remember because I went to school. And it was hard. I, I remember that the influences I had, especially when I was uh, uh, in, in seventh grade and early eighth grade, I had people around me that really weren't great influences. And I, I realized I was saved, but I needed to live different. How was I going to do that in front of these guys? It was hard. These, there's kids here that are in school. My boys are in school, and, and we got the girls back there, and we have college students in here. It's difficult to make a stand for Christ in, when you're going to school or in your workplace or in your neighborhood HOA meeting. I mean, it's difficult to, to, to be devoted to Christ. Let me tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Uh, in in uh, Matthew 5, Jesus said this about, People who endure difficult times. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
Listen, it might be difficult. Don't give up. Don't give up. Endure. Give yourself. Devote yourself to shining for the Lord. So the Lord, we see, cares for this church. He commends this church. And then Jesus does criticize this church. Look in verse 4 with me. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. There's three verses in this passage about commendation, things that, that, that uh, pleased Jesus about this church, but only one verse that is a complaint or a criticism. The Lord had only one complaint against Ephesus, but it was a serious complaint because look at what he said in verse 5. He says, Else I will come to thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So this was so serious to Jesus that he threatened to remove this candlestick from its place if they wouldn't repent. And what is that complaint? What is that criticism? Thou hast left thy first love. You know, we're not told exactly what their first love is. But we do know it's a serious thing. And I think a look at Matthew chapter 22 would be helpful in verse 36. When they asked uh, Jesus, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And the prophets. What I think Jesus was pointing towards was their love for Christ. I think he was saying, you don't love me like you once did. In fact, what he said is, thou hast left thy first love. How many of y'all, I'm going to make an illustration, and I'm not certain it's going to connect. I'm I'm probably not, but Lester would tell me not to tell you that. That's okay. He's not here. How many of y'all remember Mac Davis, the old country singer, Mac Davis? Oh, man. Brother Darren's bringing up Mac Davis. He had a song that I learned as a teenager from uh, 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 one of my friend's dads I spent a lot of time with, and we went fishing a lot together, and his name was Brother Russell. And uh, it goes like this. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. I think what has happened to these people, which happens to us, is that we get so focused on ourselves and how much we love ourselves and how much we seek pleasures for ourselves that we forget how lovable Jesus is. They had left their first love. They had given up on on keeping the main thing the main thing. This is the main thing about it, what what it is to be a Christian. Your main duty as a Christian is to love Jesus and not yourself. But they had failed. They had lost it. They had left it. And uh, they hadn't just lost it. They, it says they left it. It was not accidental. It was willful. Thou hast left thy first love. 
It was willful. It was intentional rebellion. It was deliberate betrayal to the Lord. But it didn't happen all at once. Because, you know, if the devil, if he tried to tempt us like he tempted uh, uh, Jesus, I think when the devil went to tempt Jesus, he understood that he was not going to succeed. And so he just laid out the biggest offer he could give him. Lord, if you'll, he said, uh, Jesus, if you'll just bow down before me, I'll give you everything. If you just bow down before me. You know, he doesn't ask us to do things like that, does he? He doesn't say uh, uh, to, to, uh, to Brother Taylor, Brother Taylor, if you will just bow down before me, Satan, I'll give you the whole world. Have you gotten that offer, Brother Taylor? No, but what he will do is he'll say, listen, I, I have this little bit of pleasure that you might really enjoy. Yeah, you're really not supposed to get involved with that. I mean, the Bible says you're not supposed to, but you know what? It, it, nobody's around. How about, you just, how about you just betray Jesus a little bit this time? And step by step, he'll, he'll, he'll lead us to willfully rebel against God. I think this is what he's describing for that church at Ephesus. That word, uh, that term, first love. Thou hast left thy first love. Uh, how many of y'all are married or want to be married? Um, my wife and I, we've been married... Uh, almost 16 years in January. Uh, in this last month of August, we were together 20 years. Whew, man, uh, not long enough. 20 years. And I remember uh, I was thinking about this. When you have that first love in your marriage relationship and that person you're going to live with the rest of your life, what is it like? It's pretty lame, isn't it? No, it's intense, right? It's intense. You, you, you want to be with this person all the time. You're willing to sacrifice just to be in their presence. You'll, uh, you'll do anything to make them smile. You, you have such strong feelings uh, for that person that you can't stop thinking about them. You always want to be with them. Me, uh, maybe I'm the only one who's ever felt that way, but I, that's how I felt for her. It's honeymoon love, first love. Well, well what happens? Marriage comes, and there's a period of honeymoon, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and it's, uh, and it's uh, powerful and amazing and enjoyable, and, but then life happens, and, and you fall into a routine, and, and then the fire that once burned uh, and just w- with incredible fervor begins to chill. That happens, but let me ask Can you imagine a husband or a wife going to their spouse and saying, you know, I just don't love you anymore. But, you know, I I don't really want to change anything. I don't love you anymore, but I don't think we're going to change anything. I I just want to, we'll keep living together. We'll keep sharing the same bed and and we'll raise our children together. And uh, and we'll just, we'll just act like we love each other, but I, I really don't love you. I think that's what has happened to this church in Ephesus. They'd said to their Lord, Lord, I, I don't like you. I don't love you like I once did. But nothing is going to change. I, I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to give. I, I'm still going to serve faithfully. Yeah, I'll, I'll work hard. 
If my wife ever told me that, I'd be heartbroken. And I believe Jesus is. You know, Jesus, uh, can I tell you that he loves you? I mean, he loves you with a, a whole different kind of love, an unimaginable, undescribable love, a love without end, a love that never gets cold, a love that always burns enduringly forever. He loves each of you like that. And he did it. He loves you so much. And if you're here and you never trusted Christ and and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, listen, he loves you so much that he left the most amazing situation you can imagine in heaven, all the riches, all the glory, all the comfort, no pain, no drama, no political idiots trying to be president, okay? He has all power, everything. He left all of that behind to come down here to our filth and our hurt, to places like Ephesus that was so vile that their own philosopher said they're, they're not worth anything but to be drowned. And then not only to come here to give up all of the glory and majesty of heaven, but then to come here so that he might die for you. Jesus loves you. I don't know if I can describe that well enough for you this morning. I'm trying really hard. But Jesus loves you. I mean, he, he weeps when you sin. He rejoices when you repent. He's with you at all times. I mean, uh, uh, when, you, when you meet that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, when I met Melissa, I wanted to spend all my time with her. Yes, my parents, they're here. You, they can testify. I drove to Justin, Texas, all the way from Bedford, a good 45 minutes, I mean, almost every day, just so I could be with her for a little bit of time. And Jesus, he loves you so much. He shed his blood on the cross for you that if you'll put your faith and trust in him, he'll live within you for eternity so he can be with you all the time. And his love does not wax cold. His love, he doesn't get tired of you. It doesn't become routine for him. But oh, how easy it is for us to leave our love for him. It's a pretty serious criticism. So this church seems that this is what has happened to this church. They lost the reason why they were devoted to Christ, which was to love him. All they had left was empty religion. All they had left was uh, just going through the motions of ministry. That's all they had. And it can happen to us. It can happen in a church that's on fire for God. It can happen to someone in that church. It can happen to a pastor. If there was a time when you loved Jesus more than you do now, I'd say it's happening to you right now. Thankfully, Jesus isn't done. 
by God's amazing grace, he, he says there's still hope for those of us who've left their first love. Jesus cares for this church. He commends this church. He has a criticism for this church, and then he corrects this church. Let's listen carefully. In verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, He gives them three ways to restore your love, your first love. Remember is the first way. Remember. You know, there are times when looking back is dangerous. Sometimes we shouldn't look back into our sinful life because we might find something that we miss. And it's dangerous to look back. But you know, there's times when forgetting the past is dangerous. Forgetting what God has done for you is dangerous. Remember the time when you realized you were a sinner without a Savior? Do you remember that? I remember it vividly. I remember being at that church camp, sitting right in the aisle seat on the second row from the front, and 14-year-old Darren knew that he was going to hell, and I was scared to death. Do you remember when you understood how much Christ loved you? Uh, let me tell you if, you, if you think you've ever understood, then you haven't, because We can't understand this love. It's too big. It's too great. Do you remember when you felt his love? You remember when you were freed from that condemnation of sin? When when you got saved? I remember. I remember at church camp uh, how, how my life changed in an instant. You couldn't see it. The way I was dressed didn't change. The way I wasn't suddenly shining like a light bulb. I mean, but everything had changed about me. God had saved me from eternal damnation, and, and I was free from sin. It's the greatest single moment of my life. Jesus is commanding the fallen church member to remember. And, <clears throat> and the Greek grammar that is, dis- that is used here emphasizes continual remembrance. Keep on remembering. Do it. Day in and day out, remembering what the Lord has done for you. And also, he says to repent. Remember thou art uh, from whence thou art fallen. And repent. Repent. Uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy God, uh, thy God with all thy heart and with thy soul and with all thy mind. So loving God is the main thing. It's the center of what it means to be a Christian. It's our, it's our greatest spiritual duty is to love God. And so uh, God makes it easy in many ways, too, when we have the right perspective. Because like that Mac Davis song goes, you know, to know me is to love me. Listen, if you really know Jesus, it is to love him. I mean, he is infinitely lovable when you realize his love for you and what he's doing for you and what he's done for you. I mean, it's, it, it, we should love him. He makes it easy on us if we'll have the right perspective about him. And repentance, we know what that is. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a U-turn in your life. It's realizing that your way is wrong and God's way is right and getting on his way. That's what we're to do. If you, if you find yourself having left your first love, remember what he's done for you and get back on his path of loving him. And then the title of our sermon this morning is Do the First Works. And I, I don't have the time to unpack this, and I, I'm, I'm just going to believe it's okay. What does he mean, though? The, for, what are the first works? Jesus doesn't specify for us. He leaves us to fill in the blanks. 
And so the best I could come up with was just to do the things that made you close to God in the beginning. You know, I, when I got saved, I, I was not any kind of great Bible student, but I was in the Bible. Uh, I prayed. I mean, I prayed constantly. I spent time with God. I realized He was with me, and I spent time with Him while He was with me. I worshiped more fervently than I ever had. I, I, I enjoyed fellowship. I tried to find opportunities to serve him, to give. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why camp is such a powerful ministry in my life because that was a first thing for me when I got saved. Listen, whatever it is uh, that, that made you close to God at the beginning, do those things. Do them. Don't abandon them. Don't let uh, the busyness of life push them out of your schedule. Make time. And if, if you're like me and you find your schedule filling up faster than you can with important things to do, then you know what? Wake up earlier in the morning and set aside specific time for him. You should, we need to do the first things. And there's a risk though at the end of this uh, uh, passage. He says, uh, 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 do the first things. Um, where am I at? Here you go. Verse 5. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. So there's a risk of disobedience here. He's He's not making this church get into line. He's giving them an opportunity to decide to obey or to disobey. And the risk, the risk is dire. The possible removal of the candlestick from its place. What could that mean? I, I think that could mean the end of that church. You know, Ephesus is no longer a city. On the, I mean, it, the place may be on the map, but there's nobody that lives there. There's no church there anymore. Uh, you know, every, uh, let, me, let, me, let me make sure you understand this. Every person who's trusted in Christ has eternal security, but not every church has eternal security. No local church is guaranteed to, to eternally exist. Ephesus is in ruin. There's no longer a church there. We could say the same for many churches that we've known. It could also mean that Christ will just leave the midst of him and just let them do church without him. And I can't think of a more painful way for a church to die without the Lord leading them. Verse 7 is our conclusion. He that hath an ear, let him hear what... The Spirit saith unto the churches, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. It's a promise, an encouragement towards those that overcome. Who is that? Well, 1 John 5, I'll read this two verses for you. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. He's not talking about someone who has... uh, you know, who's, who's worked hard enough in their own strength to overcome sin in their life. He's saying anybody that is born of God overcometh the world. And that is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning, you've trusted in Christ, you're an overcomer already because God's word says you are. But if you're here this morning and you're not, well, it says, whosoever is born, whatsoever is born, uh, uh, who is it 
Who is, it, uh, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth. You know, Jesus said in, in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. The Bible tells you, you must be born again. Not of flesh. You don't go back into your mother's womb. What it means is, is you're going to be born of the Spirit by putting your faith and trust in Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. I need you to hear that message. But I think for most of us, for most of us, we've been born again. My question for you and for myself is, was there a time in my life when I loved the Lord more? And if so, will I do the first works? Will I remember and repent? It's an invitation coming just in a few seconds. The question is here for you. God's word is given to us that we might respond to his word. How will you respond this morning? Come, Brother Eric. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I I know this message is, for me, Lord, it's at least a heavy message. It's hard to listen to because it's easy to see where I fail. Lord, we are prone to trust our flesh, even in serving you. We're prone to, uh, to trust our own ideas and our own plans, even when it comes to serving you. But God, the reality is, is you're the main thing. And it doesn't matter how we serve you, how much we endure. It doesn't matter... Uh, what great vision we might have for the future. It doesn't matter any of these things unless we love you. Jesus told us the main thing is to love you. Lord, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. Lord, I pray for our church right now. Those that are here that have heard this passage, I pray that they've heard from you and not from me. Lord, I pray that they'll respond to your word. Help us to do what you'd have us to do and to to love you most in this church. In Christ's name I pray, amen. What shall we sing, Brother Eric? Let's stand together.